All right, well, let's go to God's word as we are in week number two in the study through the New Testament book on James that we're calling When Faith Grows Up. That's the theme behind this book. Last week in week one, we saw James teach us that when faith grows up, it's able to find joy, not for trials, but in trials. Not because trials are fun, but because God is good, right? God's able to take all things and turn them for good. You know, God uses trials to mature us and grow us in our faith. And we talked about that last week. Now today, James is going to talk to us about how grown-up faith handles temptation. Temptations and trials are, are closely related, but they're not the same. God uses trials to help us grow in our faith, but Satan uses temptations to cause us to sin. When we fall into trials, we're to count it all joy, but temptations are to be renounced and ran from. The, the reason that James now talks about temptations right after he just got done talking about trials is because here's what can happen in our lives. The trials that happen on the outside of us all of a sudden can result in temptations that are now happening on the inside of us. That can happen very easily. You see, here, here's how. When, when trials come our way, they can very easily, we can very easily find ourselves complaining against God, questioning, does he really love me? And wondering, hey, can I really trust him with my life or not? And that's when Satan likes to provide us with an opportunity to try and escape the difficulty of that trial. And the opportunity comes by way of a temptation. Let me give you a biblical example of this and, and how this can happen so easily in our lives. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man by the name of Abraham to walk by faith. And he says, Abraham, what I want you to do is I want you to go and live in the land of Canaan. I want you to go there. That's where my blessing's gonna be. And no sooner does Abraham, in obedience, arrive in Canaan than a famine arrives in the land. Now, this would have been good, a good opportunity for Abraham to say, you know what? This is where God wants me. I'm not going to move. He's going to provide. And certainly God would have provided. And it would have been a great time for him to grow in his faith. But there was a temptation to flee to Egypt. Remember that? And he caused himself a mess. He almost lost his wife, Sarah, to Pharaoh. He did not pass the test, right? Because what happened is his trial turned into a temptation. Well, if we're going to grow up in our faith, James says we must learn how to maturely handle temptation when it comes our way. So let's go and read what he has to say. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. James writes this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. For each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. These seven verses teach us how to win the battle with temptation. James shares with us 
four things, and I want to share them with you this morning. If we're going to defeat temptation, we have to do four things. First, we have to acknowledge the reality of temptation. Number one, we have to acknowledge the reality of temptation. I want you to notice the very first two words in verse 13. What are they? When tempted. Okay? So it's not a matter if, if you're going to be tempted, but when you are tempted. And this is the same reality that James taught us last week when it came to trials, right? Okay, it's not a matter of if trials are going to come, they're going to come. Just as you can count on trials coming into your life, you can also count on it that as you make your way through this life, temptations are going to come as well. Okay, listen to me very carefully. They will always be present in this life no matter how old you get. And no one is exempt from having to face them. Okay? Temptations are inevitable. You are never going to get to the place in your Christian walk where you will be immune from them. Okay? There is no spiritual vaccine that I can give you. That would be so much easier. It would be so much easier to pastor if I could say, everybody line up, we're going to give you each a vaccine. You're never going to have to deal with temptation again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay? There's no get out of temptation free card. Both the Christian and the non-Christian face them. So too does the mature Christian and the immature Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old or rich or poor or black or white. Everyone will face them throughout their life on this side of eternity. And just like with trials, temptations come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes and varieties in varying degrees. John White, in his book, The Fight, a practical handbook for Christian living, he reminds us of the inevitability of temptation, and he writes this. I want to share it with you. He writes, you will be tempted. The kinds of temptation may change. Candies for kids, sensuality for the young, rich for the middle-aged, and power for the aging. The evil one can ring the changes with greater skill than any advertising agency. He knows the Achilles heel of every microbe. You will be tempted continuously. You will be tempted ferociously at times of crisis. Jesus himself was tempted in all points as we are. That is to commit adultery, to steal, to lie, to kill, and on and on, yet was without sin. Therefore, temptation itself need not dismay you. It was your Savior's lot, and it will be yours. As long as you live, you will be tempted, end quote. You and I must be aware of the reality of temptation at all times. This is where the battle with temptation begins. You have to be on your guard because temptation is stalking you. Actually, an enemy is stalking you and his tool to destroy you is temptation. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, be alert and sober-minded. Why? Because why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and his method of devouring you is through temptation. This is why we're told this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So, if you think you stand firm, okay? If you think you're immune to temptation, if you think you have matured past it, 
If it's no longer concern for you, watch this, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Now, I love this last part. Watch this. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a promise. Okay, so you could never say as a Christian, I couldn't help myself. God will always, everybody say always. always. He will always provide a way out of the temptation if we're willing to listen and submit to his leading. The way out is what James unfolds for us in our text for this morning. And the first step to being victorious over the battle with temptation is to acknowledge its reality. You got to be ready for it. You got to be on your toes. You got to be sober. You got to be alert. Second, to win the battle over temptation, James tells us that we must assume the responsibility for temptation. You got to take responsibility over it. Will Rogers said this, you can summarize American history into two great movements, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. Can I tell you that's more than an American problem? It's a human being problem. Because what is at heart in this passage about temptation is the notion that someone else is to blame for my sin. And this is as old as the world itself. Let me take you back to the very beginning When the first sin came into the world, Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. Devil came and tempted Adam and Eve. They sin, and now God is in front of them, holding them to account. And look what Adam and Eve said to to God. Watch this, Genesis 3 verse, uh, verse 12. It says this, the man said, the woman. Okay, so who did he blame first? This sounds like what happens in your home, right? He did it. She did it. They did it. The woman, now watch this. You put here with me. God, you said it wasn't good to be alone. And I want to remind you that you took a rib and you made her. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, what? The serpent. Deceive me. Now that's true, but who is she blaming? She didn't say, well, I was deceived. She's saying, the serpent, his fault, and I ate. We like to blame people for our sin, don't we? We like to blame the government. We like to blame our heredity. We like to blame our parents. We like to blame our spouses. We like to blame our ex. We like to blame the devil. And you can, you can go on and on. And we even like to blame God. And sometimes we even like to disguise our blame on God. Here, here's how we do it. Well, it must have been God's will or he wouldn't have let that happen in my life. No, it happened because you fell into temptation. And now God's grace is going to help you clean it up. And James would agree with me on all this. Look what he tells us in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen, while God will allow temptations, he is never, ever, ever, ever the initiator of them. Why? Because God is completely holy. 
And because he is completely holy, that means he cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, why is this so important that James is saying this? Well, remember the detail that James already told us in the beginning of the letter, James 1.1. What did he tell us? That he was writing this letter to Jewish Christians that had been scattered throughout the nations of the Roman Empire. Nations that were heavily influenced by Greek culture. And Greek culture basically blamed the gods for their temptations. So the philosophy went something like this. If the gods created us with these kinds of lusts and passions, then we can't help ourselves. And that kind of thinking led to a very promiscuous society that accepted anything under the sun as acceptable. So here's what it was. If it feels good to your flesh, then go for it. If you like it, then what could be wrong with it? If you have an itch, you what? You scratch it. If you think it's love, indulge yourself. Anything you feel is right for you, go ahead and go for it. Now, folks, that sounds a lot like our modern world these days, doesn't it? What James is saying is don't be fooled by the culture around you. God is not responsible for temptation. How many times do you hear say, well, this is the way God made me? No, he didn't. Sin corrupted you. Nor is the devil responsible for your sin. Listen, the devil may have tempted Adam and Eve, but who did God hold responsible? Them. Here's why. Oh, you got to get this down. Because we don't sin from the outside in, we sin from the inside out. Look back at verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So here's, here's the thing you have to wrap your mind around. The problem is within us. The real enemy is our own evil, sinful desire. So follow me. If the problem is within me, then in order to stop temptation in its tracks, I need to prevent it from mating with my evil desires. Sin is conceived when temptation and my evil desires decide to hook up. Because that's so. I've got to take responsibility for the temptation that comes into my life in order to stop that from happening. Now that leads us to the next thing that James tells us if we're going to defeat temptation. Number one, I got to know the reality of it. Number two, I got to assume the responsibility for temptation. And number three, I need to anticipate the routine of temptation. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Temptation has a routine that it wants to play out in your life. And, and the grand finale of this routine is sin. It's you sinning. That's the goal. And James, James works us through the routine. He shows us how it goes. It starts with desire. Everybody say desire. Desire. This is where it starts. Once again, verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil. What's the word? Desire. Desire. Okay. What temptation does is it will always take aim at a desire that is within us. A desire to want that wants to acquire something to satisfy us, something that's dangling right in front of us, something within our grasp. Sin starts when a temptation engages a desire 
within us. That's where it always starts. Here's act number two in the routine. Let's call it deception. Everybody say deception. deception. Watch this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So here's what happens. What happens is a desire becomes a deception in your mind. Because, because you begin to justify and rationalize the right that you have for the thing that you now desire. And I want you to notice the words that I have highlighted in the text. We read through this really quick and we don't catch it because we're, we're, we don't speak and, and, and deal with Greek. But in the original Greek, Greek language this was written in, when James wrote it, he's creating a word picture here. Okay? The word there dragged away, one word in the Greek... It's a hunting term that means to bait a trap. So let me give you a modern illustration of what James has in mind with this word. You know this, right? Okay. The mouse is so focused on the desire to have that cheese that he's willing to risk the danger to have it. Okay. Whether he sees it or not, he may see it but think he can handle it. He may not even see it at all. He's being deceived into thinking that this is a good way to satisfy his desire. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it wrong for him to want to satisfy the desire for cheese, for for food? No. Here's the problem. He's trying to satisfy his desire the wrong way. So I have this quote in your notes. Temptation always wants you to satisfy a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Okay? So so think about this. Is the fleshly desire to have sex a bad thing? What's the answer to that? No. You were created with that desire. But there's a right way and a wrong way to go about that. Amen? Is the fleshly desire to be in a remote romantic relationship with someone a bad thing? No. God's put that desire within us. But there's lots of people out there that you shouldn't be trying to satisfy that need with. Amen? Is the fleshly desire to have justice met a bad thing? No. But you shouldn't take the law into your own hands to accomplish it. See, what I want you to understand is temptations always try to get us to leverage our fleshly desires in the wrong way. Now, I want, to, I want to go back to the verse, and I want you to know this is the last word in the verse. Uh, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, this is the second word picture, and it's related to the first. But that word enticed in the Greek is a fishing term that means to bait a hook. So this is the image that James has in mind. Okay? Don't do it, fishy, right? <laughs> Don't do it! Okay? There's a hook in that worm. Now, here's the thing that I know about fishing. There are all kinds of baits out there that I can use. And what determines what kind of bait I use depends on the fish that I'm trying to catch. Am I right? We were on vacation this year and we, we had a place right on the, on, the, on the North Carolina bay side of the Outer Banks and we had a place where we could fish. And man, I had squid on my hook and I'm fishing and I'm fishing and I'm fishing and nothing. I threw lures out there, nothing. I decided to put a worm. 
I couldn't, I couldn't, as soon as I dropped it in, fish after fish after fish after fish. There are certain types of bait. They're going to be effective with certain types of fish. Here's what I need you to get. The devil uses all kinds of different temptations to get us to sin. And what may be a good bait for me may not be a good bait for you. Because we've got different issues in our life. We've got different insecurities in our life. And, and here's what I want you to know. The devil has been studying the human race for a long time. The devil knows how people are. He's been observing. He knows patterns. And he's even been watching your life since you were born. He knows where your vulnerabilities are. And so what he does when he comes after you like a roaring lion, it's always an attack on something in your life where you are weak. He's got a lot of experience at this. He knows how to bait different hooks for different people. And so let me, let me just work you through some pictures. This is a little bit like Sunday school this morning. I don't have a flannel graph, but I got these cool LED screens. So for some of us, this is our, this is our issue that he gets us with, right? And I'm just, I didn't grow up with much and I'm just so fearful and, and I'm afraid and I don't want to go back to where, how I grew up and I'm willing to lie and I'm willing to cheat and I'm willing to steal to make sure that doesn't happen. And it looks good, but there's a hook in it. Okay? For others of us, this is how he baits the trap. I couldn't find a beer can, but that's the closest as I can get. Now listen, I'm not saying that you can't have a drink of alcohol. The Bible never teaches that. It always teaches us that it needs to be in moderation, right? But some of you, you can't even go there. Because it's a history of addiction in your life. I had an experience um, with this that's so unique, I want to share it with you. Um, about, about 12 years ago, we were on vacation at, at the Outer Banks, or, or I'm sorry, Myrtle Beach. Uh, we always go to a beach somewhere. We're just beach people. But uh, we went there, and we were, it's the first day of vacation. I'm exhausted. I'm ready to relax, relax and rest. And we went, you know how you go to the beach, you check in, and you go to the store to get your food for the week. And right in, the, in the, the middle, right before the cash register, there was this huge stack of Bartles and James wine coolers. Okay, now, I need to preface this story with, you're going to think this is crazy, I have never been drunk in my life. I've never had a problem with alcohol. To this day, I've never been drunk in my life. And I thought to myself, ooh, I remember when I was a kid, and we were on vacation with my parents and my uncles that they gave me a sip of that wine cooler. I remember it being pretty good. No lie. I reached out my hand to grab one for the week. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me so strong that I'll never forget it. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me? You have an addictive personality. Don't even touch it. I've never been drunk in my life. And to this day, do you know what I know? I cannot drink for comfort. I cannot drink for recreation because the Lord told me don't go there because you have an addictive personality. Now, I believe God gave me that addictive personality that I would be addicted to the right things and the right processes that would glorify him. But if I get hooked to the wrong things, it could destroy my life. For some of us, it's this. Hey, I can handle it. For some of us, it's, it's this. One time isn't going to hurt. I can handle this. You know, nobody ever gets addicted to a substance thinking that it's going to get out of control. Everybody thinks they're going to be able to control it. 
How about this? Let's get away from that type of thing. What about, for some of us, this is what it is. I just want to be loved so bad. I just want to feel secure, and I want to feel loved, and there's this person in front of me. And can I tell you something that I've learned? God can put a person in front of you, and so can the devil. You got to be careful. And if you intend on serving God, and you come to me and, and, and I say, hey, what about this person? And you say, I think they love God. If you've got to say that, they don't. Because Jesus say they will, you will, they will know them by their, it should be evident that they're serving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But why does the devil bait the trap with this? Because he knows where your vulnerabilities are. How, how about this one? Hey, sex is no big deal. As long as you're safe and don't make babies, you're fine. There's a hook in it. You, you, you want to be promiscuous? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hinder your ability to, to, to bond with the one that you really want to bond with down the road. There's, there's all kind of pitfalls to it. You're going to attach yourself to, to the wrong people, and then you're going to be attached. Your emotions are going to be attached, because, but, but your emotions, do you realize when you start having sex with somebody, it's like a drug. And now, all of a sudden, you're addicted to the wrong person. How about, how about this one? Ain't gonna hurt. I, I couldn't put an image up there, so this is the best <laughs> we can do. Somebody after the first service was like, Pastor, why need you put an image up there? I'm like, really? I'm like, I can't go there. This is the best I can do, right? Hey, it's not, nobody's gonna know. It's not gonna hurt anybody. I mean, I can go on and on. I could put chocolate cake on here. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> we're stepping on toes this morning, right? Here, here's, you get the idea. Here's what I want you to know. Temptation is always a trap that's baited specifically to get you to sin. There's, and, and there is always a hook in that temptation that you may take it and you may start to run with it, but eventually what does the fisherman do? <laughs> And you get reeled into places that you never wanted to go. So think about this. The routine of temptation. It starts with desire, right? It moves to deception. And then it moves to design. Everybody say design. Design. Look at verse 15. Then after desire has what? Conceived. Okay, so once again, I've already said this to you, but let me say it again. When temptation and desire hook up together, they're capable of making a baby. And that baby they're going to create is called sin. Now, at this design stage, the concept of how you're going to pull the sin off begins to form, right? Okay, this occurs in your will. Okay, so you have to think about this. Your emotions are involved. Your mind is now deceived. And now the will is trying to figure out how can I satisfy my mind and my emotions, okay? You've already allowed temptation to have a relationship with your desires and your desires activate your emotions which deceive your mind into thinking it'll be okay. And now your mind has conceived a plan to take the bait. Now, here's what I've already said and I'm gonna drive it home further. Sin always begins on the inside of you, okay? Where does human life begin? on the inside, right, when 
the egg and the sperm hook up, right? Now you have a human life. You have conception. Like, by the way, life begins at conception. I don't care what you tell me. Amen. Bible's very clear about that. All right, let's get back. <laughs> this is where sin begins. Oh, it's, it's formed into a plan. And it begins to grow. It always begins on the inside of you. Look what Jesus, Jesus said the very same thing. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Look what Jesus said. For it is from what? Within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And, and this is not an exhaustive list. It's just a big enough list to say all the sins you could think of. All these evils come from where? Inside and defile a person. Okay, so once sin is conceived within you, it begins to grow and grow, and eventually it's born. So think about this. You've been thinking about it on the inside. It's growing. It's private. Nobody knows about it. And then you act on it, and your sin becomes what? Everybody sees it now, right? Okay? Once sin is conceived within you, it eventually leads to disobedience. Everybody say disobedience. disobedience. So the act of sin is, is born. It's fleshed out for the world to see. And look what it says. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now here's what you need to understand. When sin is born, it may look cute at first. And it may be fun, and it may stir your emotions for a little while, but eventually sin grows up. Parents, you know this. When they were little, you just want to pinch their little cheeks. When they're bigger, you just want to slap their cheeks, right? Here's what James is saying. Follow me now. When sin, when, when, it, gives birth, when, when, when it gives birth to sin, when you give birth to sin, James says that, thing, that sin grows up to be a murderer. That's why the last stage of the routine of temptation, James says, is death. Look at it. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. Oh, it was cute. It was fun, but it grew up now, and it's not so much fun as it used to be. There's lots of problems that this thing now has in my life. It gives birth to what? death. It kills things in your life. It robs you from the best that God would want from you. It steals the life that God, the abundant life that Jesus died to give you. And, and this is what temptation's end goal is. You know what temptation's end goal is? Let me give you one more picture. That's it. Okay? So if, if you're going to defeat temptation... You have to anticipate the routine that, that wants to unfold in your life. The way to stop the routine, are you ready for this? You, you don't give it center stage in your life. How do you do that? Well, James tells us. If we're going to win the battle with temptation, we have to, number four, we have to activate the replacement of temptation. Okay? Now, follow me. When you, when you replace something, what do you do? You get rid of one thing. And you replace it with what? With something else. 
Here's how you get rid of temptation. Okay? You don't stick around and try to fight it because it's much stronger than you are. You don't debate it because it will out-debate you. Okay? You don't try to talk nice to it because it's not planning on being nice to you. You don't give it space in your life because it's going to want to take every inch of your life. Here's what would you do when temptation comes your way. All right, everybody look. You run! You run! You run! You run as fast as you can. Look at the person next to you. Don't say it with your tiny voice and tell them, run! You say, Pastor, where did you get that from? The Bible? Watch this. This is the, this is the key to temptation, the first key to it. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from what? Idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. As long as there's love, it's okay to have sexual immorality. That's not what it says, does it? You don't make deals with sexual immorality. Watch. You what? Flee from... You run. (laughs) Same as flee. You guys are on point. You flee, right? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth. But you got to do more than just run. You, You have to replace temptation with something else, or temptation will just come back and try to deceive you another way. Okay? And, and you know what, what, well, I'll say that in a second. Let's move forward. You flee, you, but you got to do more than run. You got to watch this. What's the next part of the verse? You need to pursue what? Righteousness. You got to flee from temptation and then you got to pursue righteousness. You got to run from temptation. You got to run to righteousness and righteousness is always found in God. You put your trust in his word and his ways. You listen to him. And James tells us why that's so important. Look at verse 16 here as this continues to unfold. James says, oh man, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, because that's what's happening for a lot of you. Temptation is deceiving you, and, and, the, and the routine is happening, and death is coming into your life. This is not the abundant life that Jesus died for you to live. And so he's saying, don't be deceived, and here's the key to it. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Who are we talking about? God coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. Otherwise, listen, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. And then it says coming, it says, who does not change like shifting shadows. So he's making a comparison here to, you know how in our world we have sun and we have the moon and we have the stars. And as, as the whole cycle works, there's shifting shadows. And it is sometimes you have light and sometimes you have darkness. You know what James is saying? God is never like that. There's no shifting. He doesn't change his mind. He's not going to make a mistake. He's always right about every single thing. He's smarter than the devil. He's smarter than the temptation. He's smarter than you. He knows what's best for you. And so you can be sure to trust him all the time because he's a good heavenly father that cares about you. And if you'll live that type of life where you always look to him, if you run to him, you'll find the type of life that Jesus died to make possible for you. Jesus wants to give you abundant life. 
He died to make that possible. But a lot of Christians are not taking advantage of that. We're still living like we did before we came to Jesus. We're still living as prisoners when the prison door is wide open. So how do you know that? Because of the last thing that he says here, and we could have done a whole sermon on this, but look what he says. He, talking about God, verse 18, chose to give us birth. Okay, right? We talked about how sin can be birthed in us, but he birthed something else in us, didn't he? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You say, what does that mean? Well, listen, at one time before you came to faith in Jesus, the only voice that you had to listen to was your desires. That's the only voice you had to navigate through this world. But when Jesus died on the cross and you put your faith in him, you went from being spiritually dead to now being spiritually alive. Paul says, by his grace and his mercy, he has made you alive in Christ. Now there is another voice in your life and his name is Jesus. Now God has put his spirit in your life. And so no more is it just your, your desires that are talking to you in the world and the devil. But now you've got spiritual life that you're now alive to. And if you will choose and listen to that voice, it's the type of life that God has designed for you to live. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. You have to run from temptation and you gotta run to the Lord okay because here's the deal here's what a lot of us do because we don't want to submit to the Lord you know what we do we settle for running but we never fill the void and you know what what will fill the void self-righteousness and you just fool yourself the devil will outsmart you every time and you'll never get victory and you'll never walk in the abundant life that God wants you to walk in. This is why Romans, look at some of these verses. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. It says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You got to run from that and you got to clothe yourself with Christ. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it what? Obedient. To Christ. You say, arguments with who? Well, it could be the world, it could be the devil, but a lot of times it's with my own flesh. My own flesh doesn't want to submit to the Lord. It wants to do its own thing. It's not worried about the long-term consequences. It just wants to satisfy the, the urges that are before me. And so here's what I do. I've got I've to sit that thing down and I've got to discipline it. And I've got to say, no, you're not going to rule my life because I've got another master in my life. He who set me free is the one that wants to leave me. Listen, the prison door's open. I have another voice that I can follow. So I need to leave my sin behind and I need to follow my Savior into righteousness. The door's open. Take advantage of it. And listen, I don't care if my flesh has to suffer. See, that's the problem. Everybody wants abundant life, but nobody wants to suffer short-term in order to gain long-term. What we do is we trade temporary pleasure for losing out on long-term abundant life down the road.
This is the same thing Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5, right? You have this new spirit man inside of you. You're spiritually alive. You're alive to the things of God, but you're still, that new spirit man is housed in a body that's yet to be redeemed. It's still tainted by the curse of sin. And so how many know it's harder to be a Christian than it is a non-Christian? Because now sin isn't as fun as it used to be. I mean, you recognize the baby's ugly from go. You don't want to wait till they grow up. You know, I know it's ugly and I shouldn't have done that and it's not as fun. Why? Because you have this battle going on inside of you between your evil desires and the spirit of God that wants to direct you. That's why Paul says this in Romans 5 verse 16, this whole fruit of the spirit passage. So I say, walk by the spirit. Oh, let the, let the Spirit of God be your master. Let Jesus be your master. And if you do that, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. This is the key. And can I tell you, the more mature you grow, you, listen, even mature Christians miss the market times. But the more mature you grow, the more you're going to be willing to suffer in order to experience long-term life. Does that make sense? Immature Christian says, I want everything right now and I can have, no, no, no. I need to trust God with everything right now so that I can have all he wants down the road. That's the key. Would you stand with me, everybody in the building? Would you stand? Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning, but every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's what the Lord specifically instructed with me this morning. And I just want to be obedient to him. I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know what you're dealing with. It could be something so small as, you know what, I got a gossip problem to something really big. I mean, we have varying degrees of things in our life. It could, it, it, it could be a number of things. It could be addictions. It could be wrong relationships. I don't know what it is. But the Lord wants me to ask you this. What do you need to run from in order to walk in in righteousness, in order to walk in abundant life. What is God asking you to run from? And my guess is through this message, he's already been speaking to you. He's already been talking to you. So here's what I want to do. Sometimes we just need to take a step of faith. And so what I want to do is I want to open the altars. And if there's something that you need to run from in order to say, God, I'm running towards you. Today is a new day. Would you find a place up here? Would you just come and say, the Lord spoke to me about an area in my life. Would you come right now? Say, that's me. I want the Lord to do a work in my life. I want the I want a fresh anointing in my life. Would you just come find a place? Don't miss this opportunity. Forward this morning, I want to ask you just would you 
lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I just surrender. Whatever that area is in your life, would you just surrender it to the Lord and say, Lord, I come to you, Lord. I'm running today from, from my unrighteousness. I'm running to your righteousness. I'm telling you, there's, this is where the miracle of God can begin to break chains. Some of you want miracles, but you don't want to run. You want to stay, and you've got to run towards God if you want to experience the miracle. And so, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would begin to sweep through these, these places this morning, Lord. I pray that you would begin to break chains. I pray that you would begin to break strongholds. Lord, I pray that you would begin to break addictions in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray that that same power that raised you from the dead would sweep through. It would anoint us in a fresh, in a new way, that you would take away desires, Lord, that are hindering us, that you would empower us to overcome them in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to remain strong in you and in your righteousness in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask it in your power and in your strength and in your mind so that today is a new day in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Lord, I thank you for the chains that are beginning to fall in the name of Jesus right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would root this message so strong in our hearts and our minds that when we get out of here and we, we feel good today, but Monday comes and Tuesday comes and the devil tries to come back, that we would instantly recognize, no, 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 I'm not going down that process. I'm going to go and I'm going to worship. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. I'm going to run to my Savior. I'm going to run to my God. I'm going to trust his righteousness that I may walk in victory and flesh it doesn't matter what you tell me i'm not going to believe the lies anymore in the name of jesus lord i just thank you for what you're doing lord. help us to walk in victory lord we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise in the name of jesus amen amen i'm gonna ask our prayer partners would you go ahead and come prayer our partners would you come if you're here this morning and you have a need in your life maybe you want prayer for this subject, maybe there's just something going on in your life, you need to run to the Lord too. Our prayer partners will be up here. Feel free to come in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.